You're listening to the World Needs to Know podcast, and I'm your host, Mike Kresnick. With this podcast, I look forward to introducing the world to my friends and their views on faith, art, media, and whatever the heck we decide to talk about. This is episode number one, simply titled, It's a Wonderful Life. And I'm joined by my coworker and friend, Travis Barrett, aka Travis D. Barrett on YouTube and TikTok and Instagram. You're on Instagram, right? I think I'm there, yeah. Okay. Uh, Travis, thanks for joining me on The World Needs to Know. I'm glad to be here. First ever episode. First ever episode. Um, Dude, you do such a good job at analyzing philosophy and the Christian scriptures and theology and film and art and in a really beautiful way, you package it all together. Mm. So that's why you're on this podcast Mm. with me today um, because we share a love for movies and in particular, the 1946 film, It's a Wonderful Life. We were chatting last week about the film and I was like, Travis, we have to do a podcast episode where we can just elaborate um, on this movie. So it's December, we're heading into Christmas season. Um, and so we just watched the movie and uh, we wanna share some thoughts with the world in this conversation. Now, believe it or not, there are people who haven't seen this movie. We know some of those people. Mm-hmm. Um, And even more grievously, we know people who might be indifferent towards this movie. Which is almost worst. Which is almost worst. So um, you recently, uh, on your YouTube channel, put out a video about this movie. Um, And so without rehashing that, um, why should... Meaning, I, I don't want you just to redo your video, right? But why should people watch It's a Wonderful Life. Just off the cuff, we just watched it. What are your thoughts? It's it's not just good for a Christmas movie. It's just a good movie. Yeah. Would be my quickest answer. Yeah. I think a lot of people, when somebody I was talking to said, they're like, oh yeah, that that is a, that's a nice little Christmas movie, isn't it? I said, a nice Christmas movie? Are you? No, 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 no. This is just like a good movie. Yeah. Period. Yeah. The fact that it also is a Christmas movie, I think is just makes it even better. Yeah. Makes it that much more rewatchable because it has to do with the Christmas season and you can kind of pull it out and rewatch it. But on its own terms, I think it's just a brilliant film. Yeah. Because you could take the Christmas things out of it Mm -hmm. and it would still be, I mean, don't, you don't even get to Christmas until like the last quarter, the last third, right. Right. Until the last, until you come to present day, it's not even Christmas time. Yeah. I saw one person said that they like, saw this in school in February and they didn't even realize until years later that this was supposed to be a Christmas film. Oh, interesting. They were like, oh, I just thought, I just genuinely thought this was like a, you know, yeah. a, a movie from the 40s. Yeah. So I think, yeah, it can absolutely just be enjoyed on its own terms. Mm-hmm. Plus the fact that the themes are really resonant at Christmas time. Yeah. Just league above every other Christmas movie, in my yeah. opinion. Yeah. I mean, we just, I, I, I just shared with you a bit out of a book. I have, I've got the Oxford Encyclopedia of Christmas. I love Christmas so much mm. that my wife bought me an encyclopedia about Christmas. And uh, it was talking about how in, in the 40s, leading up to that time, uh, Christmas films in particular were very sentimental. This is not. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, there's parts of it that could that can be sentimentalized, and we might talk about that later. But it does not ignore mm-hmm. um, abuse, uh, death, uh, um, grief, 
isolation, uh, the, um, the downside of comparing yourself to others and, and, and living with that weight, that burden. Um, so in those, in that, in that regard, it's not sentimental. Um, it's very real and, and deals with them heavy, heavy topics. Uh, even to the point where Amazon, where we just watched it, we just streamed it, uh, you know, points out that it's violent they're smoking there's sexuality uh you know which is b- bizarre um and, and things like that so uh yeah that's one thing i appreciate about appreciate about the movie and in, in the thing that you read it, it compared it to or I, I don't know how many years later but the bishop's wife came out after this movie yeah and i i just watched that last year and i i mean immediately you can tell the similarities but also the differences like i would say that bishop's wife what the reputation that it's a wonderful life has, I think is better applied to the Bishop's wife, which is at least in my reading, I thought the Bishop's wife was a sentimental, nice movie. It's where an angel comes and, you know, kind of brings a family together. Mm-hmm. Kind of, it, it, it kind of has to do with like the meaning of life a little bit, but it's, it's pretty just sentimental Christmas movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you put that next to it, it, it kind of does feel like a, Ooh, it's a Wonderful Life worked really, really well. People enjoyed this. Let's redo that um, and just try and, I don't know. Maybe I'm not being fair with, with The Bishop's Wife, but I just, <laughs> I love It's a Wonderful Life so much that um, I agree. Yeah, it's so much more than just a sentimental Christmas piece. It actually has something far more to say. And uh, I mean, somebody pointed out to me, and this is so true, that like at the end of the movie, like Potter, the bad guy. Mm-hmm. He gets away. Like nothing bad happens. to That's not a very sense. I, I don't know. There's not like a cathartic. Like there's not, no justice. There's no justice. Yeah. Like yeah. the guy that stole eight thousand. The rich man. The richest. The supposedly richest man in town right. stole eight thousand dollars, and he gets away with it. There's no justice. Like, I don't know. That's the fact that they even put that in the movie. Uh, that's not something you would, I think, do if you were just trying to design a movie that's like going to be really feel good and yeah. sentimental. Yeah. I mean, we talked about comparison and maybe just like, let's ride this train for a moment. But if you're comparing Bailey and Potter, uh, at the end of the movie, we realize that Bailey has mm. all the, fr- like he has friends. That's the line in the, mm-hmm. at the at that Clarence writes in the book. He says, no man is a failure who has friends. And throughout the whole movie, Bailey sees himself as a failure because he's never actually getting what he wants. Mm-hmm. Potter is seen as uh, the man who's successful. He is he's rich in in you know uh, monetary terms, but at the end he's got no friends. Mm-hmm. He's not celebrating Christmas with anybody, mm-hmm. uh, at least that we see. Mm-hmm. And so the the story leaves us with like, oh, Bailey is the richest man in town because he has this community of people around him mm-hmm. that he just wasn't seeing. Throughout most of the movie. I mean, we <laughs> one of the funniest parts of the movie is where George Bailey goes and visits Mary at her house. He can't even see how much she loves him because mm-hmm. he's just so burdened by his own sorrow, his own uh, discouragement. Um, yeah, so, he, but he finally awakes to it at the end. Mm-hmm. And he is the richest man in town. The, the comparison, I wrote, in I was taking notes while we were watching the movie. Yes. And um the comparison, I feel like at the beginning of the movie you kind of see Potter <clears throat> and his father who I I wrote down as Papa Bailey, but I think his name is Peter. 
Because <laughs> I was like, I don't know if they ever say the name of the dad. They do eventually. And yeah. it's, I think it's Peter Bailey. But um, I feel like both of those, obviously both kind of the older, the two oldest main characters in the mm. movie. And mm. I feel like they're almost kind of positioned forward as like the two but potential futures for Peter uh, or for um, George for George yeah. of like if you want to pursue your life for yourself and like invest in yourself you could kind of be like Potter that's what he's done mm. or you can be like your father mm. and in the beginning when his um, after his dad dies he uh, says to Potter in my book my dad died a richer man than you'll ever be. And then his, yeah. and then Potter says to him, I don't care about your book. I, you know, yeah. I care about the building and loan. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and so it's like in the beginning of the movie, it seems like obviously over and over and over again, uh, George is making the choice to, like, I want to be like my father. I'm going to continue to sacrifice and love others. Mm. And then Potter compares uh, George to, he says, you once called me a warped, frustrated old man, but what are you but a warped, frustrated young man? Yeah. yeah. And, um, and then George says to Clarence later that he says he's, um, you know, uh, Clarence says, we don't use, you know, money doesn't come handy in heaven. Right. And George says, well, you know, it comes pretty handy down here. And I yeah. found that out the hard way. Yeah. And it, it feels like George, he, the, the story has led us to, we've been following George's choice to be like his father over and over and over again, to sacrifice, to not pursue mm-hmm. wealth for his own selfish good, not to mm-hmm. pursue his own fame and glory. And it feels like we kind of get to the end of that rope. And George is like, I don't think I made the right choice. Like, I feel like I made the wrong choice. Yeah. This was not worth it mm-hmm. um, until the end. The end is then being like, no, 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 that actually you did make the right choice. You are the richest man, even if you don't have the most wealth, even if you don't, weren't able to do all the things you were wanting to do. You, you were right to call your father a richer man than Potter. Yeah. And you were right to pursue that kind of life mm-hmm. over and above what, what Potter offers. Mm-hmm. Do you remember... In the scene where he um, finds that his the prescription is poison, mm-hmm. and he's he's conflicted. He's like, my boss is upset, but I don't want this this customer to be poisoned. And he looks up and sees the sign. It what is it? Do you remember what it says? Uh, I think it says, "Ask Dad. He knows." Ask Dad. He knows. George trusts his dad, mm. and he respects his dad. You see that throughout the movie. He's sitting at the dinner table. And, um, he says, dad, you're a good man mm-hmm. and you know, and you're a great guy. You're a great guy. Um, about time. What are you lunkhead <laughs> said it? <laughs> yeah. The, the maid is, uh, is one of those side characters. It's just brilliant. Um, this movie has a lot of those. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, let's, let's talk about faith for a minute mm-hmm. in, in, in this film. Um, you know, ask dad is what the sign said mm. in the part of the of the movie where he's having his existential crisis and he cries out to God. He says, "God, if you're there, show me the way." Mm. You know, and so in our in our Christian faith, um, ask ask the Father. Mm-hmm. You know, he knows, and so mm-hmm. uh, you know the the theme of prayer from beginning to end mm-hmm. is is in there. Opens, um, I think it doesn't. It, it literally opens it with prayer. Opens up. It, it opens with the, an instrumental hymn of "O Come All Ye Faithful," mm. and people praying for George Bailey. Mm. So that's another unique thing in this mm-hmm. movie is, um, and I think unique for, I would 
I don't know. I wasn't alive in the 40s and, and 50s when this movie came out. I, this movie was not popular. From what I've read, this movie was not like mm-hmm. a box office hit. Mm-hmm. Um, it kind of missed those that original audience. It's become more of a classic in later years. But this theme of faith in this in this movie stands out even in our current time because a lot of Christmas movies don't have. It has a Christmas sentimentalism, mm-hmm. but not a Christmas um, Christian spirituality. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is very very heavy in the film. Um, yeah, what, what notes did you take as we were watching it or what I mean, thoughts do you have? The way that the movie even frames the story. So it starts off with the with the praying yeah. and then it goes up into the heavens and we see these galaxies. The cosmos. The, yeah, these cosmic beings talking to one another. Yeah. Um and it and it frames the whole movie as uh we're looking at George Bailey's life through the eyes of heaven. Hmm. Um and I think that's such an like that's almost the point of the movie is like um when I, when I did my video, I, I had some comments of people being like, this is such a depressing movie. This is such a terrible, it's the worst Christmas movie. It's so mm-hmm. depressing. And I was kind of like, what? <laughs> mm-hmm. How is this movie depressing? Mm-hmm. And I just, I'm like, I guess if you seriously don't have, if you're watching this movie and you see that as kind of like just, uh, you know, a mythical flourish on the yeah. artistic, um, in the same way with the ghosts, the same way, if, if you're looking at the angels in this movie in the same way that you look at the ghosts in Dickens, uh, in Dickens's uh, Christmas, Christmas Carol, Carol yeah. then I can totally see how this would be really depressing because you're like, in what way is he really a rich, the richest man? Like it, yeah. it really is a hopeless film um, trying to maybe make, I can see how it's sent. They see that can be seen as sentimentalizing a really, really difficult situation where it's like, no, just smile up, cheer up. You know what? Mm-hmm. Life is fine, mm-hmm. even though it's terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, without the divine perspective, uh, it really is pretty uh, depressing. Mm. And I think the fact that the movie literally frames like what we're watching, we are watching it as, you know, there's the uh, Clarence doesn't have his wings. And so he can't see what is going on in the screen. And yeah. they literally say like, he's okay. Angel second class. Yeah, he's an angel second class, doesn't have his wings. And they say, you know, concentrate. And the kind of the screen opens up so we can actually see the movie. And so it's almost like we are watching the movie as angels or like angelic beings like mm. okay from the divine perspective mm-hmm. you we can tell like wow george is living an incredible life mm. but if you lose that divine perspective mm. yeah no he potter is right he's absolutely a fool like why would he be sacrificing all these things he's he's completely living for other people which is a complete waste why would you do that if uh you're not going to get anything from that or um well so is what you're saying then that george bailey was not seeing his life from a divine perspective. I think towards the end is when he learns to, yeah. um, because he obviously he's making all those decisions throughout the movie mm-hmm. that are value. I mean, he hates the house that he lives in, but he's choosing yeah. to do it because he loves Mary. He hates the town that he lives in, but he's living there because he loves the community and he's trying to help better them. He's constantly making these sacrifices for the people that he loves. But at the same time, yeah, like he, he at the beginning when uh, he's kind of railing on Potter after his father dies, he, uh, he mentions that he's like, I don't know why my father ever started this building and loan, mm. which I thought was interesting that I'm like, you don't, George? Like, <laughs> you've already made so many sacrifices. And then he goes on to say how wonderful his father has been to this community and stuff. Yeah. Um, but it just struck me that I'm like, at the beginning of the movie, he's making those sacrifices, but he says, I don't understand why my father would have ever started this. Yeah. And I think 
by the end of the movie, kind of the lesson that he learns, I think he, I think he would say that, yeah, I do understand why he, um, he's come to terms with, I mean, that's why he's running through the city, you know, saying, I love you old building alone. Yeah, I yeah. love this crafty old house. And he grabs the the little piece of the stairway that rips off and he kisses it. Cause yeah. he's like, he's learned to embrace and see things through the divine perspective and seeing like, okay, yeah, no, I, I, it's almost like a maturing and coming, becoming his own father yeah. of like, yeah, I see why he did this and why this was actually worth it. Yeah. Yeah. The part that always gets me, there's two, it's the beginning and the end. The, the end that always gets me is Clarence's note. Um, you know, no man is a failure who has mm. friends. Mm-hmm. The part that gets me at the beginning is when the angels or God and mm-hmm. God, you know, whoever the, the characters are in the cosmos and the heavens, uh, you know, the, the one angel asks, is he sick? And the other one says, no worse. He's discouraged. You know, like this, like kind of just like in, in a not on the nose way saying like, Mm. no, there's, there's a sickness of the soul Mm -hmm. that that's happening here within George Bailey. And that's something I resonate with. Like Mm -hmm. George Bailey's character in his most, uh, good and worse parts, uh, I resonate with, like, Mm -hmm. I see myself in that character so Mm -hmm. much. Um, because I want to do what's good and I'm willing to sacrifice a lot for the good of others, like mm-hmm. my wife and my kids and my community. Um, but if I have one bad day mm-hmm. and I start comparing myself and growing discontent, uh, I've, I've said in some ways or, or another things that George Bailey says in this movie or mm-hmm. acted in ways that he mm-hmm. has. And so I just think they did, they did a really good job in his character. Mm-hmm. Um, showing that tension in life mm-hmm. when you're when you're discouraged or you're you're discontent and you you're pulled in that tension of like I want to do good and yet I also want to just live for myself. Mm-hmm. I I don't want to get married to anyone ever. I just want to do my own thing. Mm-hmm. Like he has these yes. moments in the movies where you're just like okay, that's his true self coming out. Mm-hmm. Um you know, when he walks into the house on Christmas Eve and starts yelling at his kids, like playing the piano and like, mm-hmm. why'd you get sick? You know, why, you know, and he blames the teacher. Like you just see like these real human moments that have, that have happened in my house and have happened in other people's family, mm-hmm. family systems and their houses and in high stress moments, that character gets me every, and that's what keeps me coming back to this movie every single mm-hmm. year is like, oh, it's real. Mm-hmm. It feels real. Mm-hmm. Like when when his uncle loses the $8,000, it just gets like a gut punch every single time. I know how the movie ends. I know that Potter, you know, kind of nabbed, nabbed it because his uncle left it or handed it to him. I can't remember the exchange, but, but you just feel it because mm-hmm. it feels real. And you've been in that moment before where you're like, man, I really screwed it up mm-hmm. and I don't know what the implications are going to be. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's why I know a lot of people, myself included, like watch this as a kid because their parents watched it and yeah. were kind of like, this is too long. It's black and white. <laughs> yeah. the, the time I was kinda even slow. I was going to say, I was even noticing like uh, that. What was the joke that you you were waiting for? It was the it's when they, you first meet Violet when they're adults. Yeah. And she's like, there's like a just a, 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 a like a run of a few jokes where you see yeah. Violet. She makes a little remark. like I only wear this when I don't the guys are just like. You just they're uh, smitten yes. with her with her beauty and kind of her 
flirtiness yes and they don't know what to do they don't know what to do with their hands they're just kind of like standing there dumbfounded and she walks and the car honks yeah yeah and then the one guy makes the comment like there's just a line of a few jokes and i just kind of was sitting here thinking like this is like honestly by today's standards this is too slow yeah the jokes are not coming fast enough if this is supposed to be a funny scene i could imagine people already getting disinterested by the time because i mean by, by the time uh, the cop. Uh, the cop. Yeah, he's the like, cop. I need to go home and I see what see my, my wife. wife's doing. Like, <laughs> honestly, by today's audiences, like it, the joke almost wouldn't land because you've already forgotten what came before. Yeah, because we're just not our attention spans. Point, point is, yeah. Um, I think it takes kind of growing up into your twenties and thirties and forties to watch this, especially man that when he goes home with his family and he's holding, uh, I think it's the youngest kid, mm-hmm. and he's just bawling, and yeah. the kid is throwing little tinsel on his head it's just like growling at him behind the santa claus mask (laughs) one of my favorite little jokes (laughs) it's got a mask on (laughs) but like i i put in my notes it feels like ecclesiastes oh i'm so glad you said that keep going it just it like the fact that again what what i mentioned before like potter gets away and like you could easily without the divine perspective you could easily turn this movie into like the wicked man flourishes. He lives like man. Even the, yeah, Potter never dies. N- justice never comes. Nothing bad ever comes to Potter. Yeah, and in fact, he gets eight thousand dollars richer at the end of the movie. Mm. Nothing bad happens. And uh, which we ref, which we we looked up. It's about one hundred and thirty thousand dollars in two thousand twenty three money, which is insane. Yeah. And he 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 steals that, gets away with it. Whereas uh, George's dad, Peter, dies at the beginning of the movie of a heart mm. attack. Mm. I mean, later, I think. Was the uncle Billy says like mm-hmm. you probably drove him to his grave, mm-hmm. um, like it it could be so easy, and and I think that is exactly that Ecclesiastes mindset is where like George is in during that crisis um, that he needs to be kind of taken out of. Of he's just like, man, I think I did make a mistake. It does seem like the wicked are flourishing. Yeah. It seems like Potter would made the right choice. I made, I think all my friends made the right choice. I think Sam and Harry, mm-hmm. everybody who made choices for themselves made the right choice. I made the wrong choice because yeah. clearly the righteous, I've, I've made righteous decisions. I've yep. been living for other people. I've been trying to care for other people. I've been sacrificing over and over and over again. And it, it clearly isn't worth it. Like, yeah. what do I have to show for this? Yeah. Yeah. It's like, he's uh, like, he's stuck in a midlife crisis mm-hmm. of just like totally regretting every single decision mm-hmm. he's made. You know, we have the stupid house. Why do we have these kids? Mm-hmm. You know, he's asking those questions out loud. Um, it's a very, yeah, like ecclesiastical mm. tone. Um, and I think that to a modern audience, that just feels dark, mm-hmm. unnecessarily dark. Mm-hmm. When, you know, I don't know. Maybe it's 2023, three years removed from the pandemic. We just don't want to have to wrestle with those hard things. We're mm-hmm. looking for an escape. We're looking for a relief. And this kind of forces you into a dark place. Mm-hmm. And then out of it, um, with a different perspective, a divine perspective, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, I love, I love the part, <laughs> the old man, when they're singing, you know, Buffalo Gal. They're 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 mm-hmm. leaving the dance. <laughs> he's like, oh, love is wasted on the youth, or whatever he says. Youth is wasted on the wrong people. <laughs> yeah, youth is wasted on the wrong people. You know, he he's like, kiss kiss her already, <laughs> and uh, you want me to kiss her? I'll show you some kissing that'll put hair in your chest. <laughs> Um, this is also just a very funny movie. Uh, yeah, I mean, there we were talking about them. Uh, these throwaway lines, you know, they're not like 
punches of you know dialogue it's just like they're just like sprinkled throughout and they're super funny um let's talk about romance in the film mm. in your youtube feature mm-hmm. uh sh- link in the show notes um <laughs> you said the romance is cheesy how do you say that i i think one of the lines that i have especially in mind is when he's talking to uh mary on that the date where they kind of fall in love and he um, walking home from the dance is that walking home about? from okay. the dance and he um it's the moon it's the moon line he talks about how he's gonna last for the moon oh, for her the moon for you, gonna last for the moon for you which is very sweet and she puts it on the on the card but then the line afterwards which always gets me where he's like and then She's like, and what will we do next with the moon? He's like, I'll feed it to you. And it'll, you know, the moonbeams will shoot out. It'll just, oh, he says, I'll feed it to you. And then it'll dissolve and it'll shoot out. The moonbeams will shoot out of your hair and your yeah. fingertips. And yeah. it's just like, the heck are you talking about, man? <laughs> and it's just, I think that in my mind is what I mean by cheesy. Not in a negative connotation, but more in a very like, that's a dumb thing to say. <laughs> but when you're in love, you say dumb things. Well, I, I think it, I think it's, um. You see George in a moment, not living by his ideals or by his reason, mm-hmm. but he's he's talking to somebody that he he's that he's attracted to. I, mm-hmm. I don't know if he loves her yet in this yeah. part of the film, but he's definitely like smitten by her. Um, there was something there that mm-hmm. you know goes back to their childhood that you know ties them together. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say. Mm-hmm. I would say when when you're not reasoning but you're loving, mm. you say things like that, mm-hmm. and it doesn't feel cheesy in the in the moment. Yes, and I and I think mm-hmm. that is what I meant. Is I, I was kind of saying cheesy romance, a little tongue in cheek, because I I actually do love that line because it demonstrates like if I was just to write a line for a character to say that's in love, mm-hmm. that I wanted the audience to be like, oh, that's so. Like it kind of has both because it has the last of the moon. And that's yeah. like something you put on. I mean, she literally puts it on a card. That's yeah. the thing that you put yeah. on a Valentine yeah. card. And it's like, oh, that's so nice. And then they also add just kind of this um, very human. That's what mm-hmm. I think that's mm-hmm. maybe it mm-hmm. feels very human. Yeah. That um, almost similar to I, th- I think of there's so many human moments in the movie. Like what we said before, the, the kid with the, the Santa mask going. Rawr, yeah. Rawr. Like that just it just feels real. It feels human yeah. and it feels like it wasn't. That's why I push against the whole sentimental picture of the movie is because mm-hmm. i'm like I, sentimental makes me f- feel like it's you know unrealistic or inhuman mm-hmm. like almost like a, a, a veneer over mm-hmm. the whole thing mm-hmm. and i'm like this movie does not have a veneer it has like some awkward moments and it has yeah. you know like just moments that you can <laughs> one of my other favorite ones is the very beginning when they're in the ice cream shop and and uh, violet says help me down yeah and george says help you down help you down <laughs> Just walks away. Yeah, exactly. It's just like, I feel like I'm watching, you know, real life. It's, it's, it's real and it's human. Yeah. I hope and long for every man to find a woman that looks at them like Mary looks at George. Mm. Uh, the director does something interesting in this movie with eyes. Mm. There's a, there's a number of shots where he's just locked in on their eyes mm. and, uh, but Donna Reed has captivating eyes mm-hmm. and um, she just, the way she looks at George is she's just absolutely in love with him, mm-hmm. even in his flaws. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's, that's a, a beautiful thing. Can we spend some time on Mary? Mary. Mary yeah. is like the, just the glowing. She's at the library. <laughs> <laughs> Mary is like the, the, the guiding light of this movie. Like mm. she is, 
an amazing, like just a beacon of goodness. She's grace. And love. Mm. Say more about that. I'm, I'm as a, as a, as a Christian and as a consumer of books and movies and music, I'm always kind of like, I'm not necessarily trying to find the Christian message, but because I, I believe humans are always pulled between the, in the tension of law and grace, what, what I must do or what is somebody telling me to do versus what do I have freedom to do? Where is their forgiveness? Um, when I do mess up and I don't meet, you know, meet the standard. Um, so just always looking for those things. And, and she's, she is embodied grace um, for George. She's the one that, you know, we don't see it, but George goes off and jumps off the bridge to save Clarence. Mary is running around gathering people because mm-hmm. she knows her husband's in trouble. She tells her kids, yes, pray, pray, mm-hmm. pray hard. Something's wrong with dad. Mm-hmm. Even when um, he comes after Harry's party and he's, he's angry. And he, but he's at Mary's house and Mary's like so excited to see him because she's back from school. And, um, he's a total jerk to her. Mm-hmm. But she continues to like draw him in. And at the end of that scene, right before they're married, she's looking at him with that smile mm-hmm. or, you know, with those eyes mm-hmm. and, and they're embracing and kissing. He's making violent love to me mother. <laughs> which is which is which is a hilarious another one of those hilarious there's some passionate lines. necking yeah <laughs> but anyways yeah you asked me to say more and yeah I, I feel like i'm rambling now but no yeah yeah embodied grace is what I, I would say i feel like mary is pretty much from the beginning of the movie where george needs to get to um like she has on her head this love of because george loves the people i think that's pretty evident throughout the movie is that george loves um the people he's selfless i mean the first scene that we see him uh he's sacrificing himself to jump into the lake to save his brother so like he he loves people that's that's not really the issue i didn't didn't think about that him jumping in in the lake to save his brother and then jumping into the river to save clarence i never made i've never made that connection yeah just now i have wondered if i mean i think that's why clarence knew that's why he says you know i knew that if i jumped in the water you would come and save me man i i have also i don't i haven't gotten anything on this yet but i'm wondering if there's maybe it's just repetition of the image but the fact that on the night where they um spend time with with each other they jump into the pool yeah and i don't know if that's i mean i'm sure that one level is kind of coincidental i would be really curious to see if there's any um I don't know, thematic resonance there because there's kind of just jumping into the water mm. throughout the movies, throughout the movie. Um, but like George from the beginning is, I think, demonstrating that he cares for other people and he's loving other people, but he mm. doesn't. What is also established at the very beginning is uh, he wants to get out of here. Mm. He says, you know, I, I've, I've, I'm going to be a National Geographic Society member <laughs> and I'm going to have a a couple harems and and a few wives and <laughs> maybe even a couple wives. <laughs> maybe even a couple wives. Yeah. He he wants to get out of here, and that's established from the very beginning. And um, I think Mary is a clear example of like she both loves him, but also you see it in the wishes that they do when they throw the rocks at the house. Yep. He wishes I'm I want to get out of here. I yep. want to make skyscrapers and bridges and all these different things. Um, and she wishes that, her, that his dad dies. <laughs> It was a very morbid wish. She's like, exactly all the things that have happened. 
this is what I wished for. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but she wishes to uh, live in that house with him and have a yeah. family with him. Yeah. And obviously one of those two comes true. Her yeah. wish comes true. Yeah. And it's like, I think it's just really interesting that from the beginning, she had the right priorities. If the movie is kind of like trying to convince you to, yeah, have your priorities straight on what are you pursuing in life. I don't think at any point Mary has the wrong priorities. And then even uh, at, the, at the bank rush scene, while mm. I don't want to take anything away from George, he's absolutely right on board with using their honeymoon money to uh, save the town. It's Mary's idea, you know, like right. he's kind of scrambling, trying to figure out, trying to convince people not to run away from the, from the building and loan. And then she's the one that pulls out the cash from the purse and says, we've got money. Let's give it. Yep. And I don't know, just all. And, and like what you, what you said, where uh, when he's off trying to maybe potentially commit suicide because he doesn't know what to do. She's the one that's like, all right, let's get this done. Let's mm -hmm. go and mm -hmm. gather around the people. And yeah, I know that not one person has $8,000, but surely we can get around, you know, the community yeah. together and well, help out. When she, um, on their honeymoon, builds out the old house. Oh, yeah. To, to be where they were going. Mm. And, you know, their friends are outside singing in the rain. And, um, you know, it's not what George dreamed of, but it was what they had. Um, and so she, yeah, she's just always working mm. to, to give George what he, I don't know, longs for, but it, the tension in the movie is, it's not what necessarily he's always mm -hmm. wanting, mm -hmm. you know, not until the end. I, I also, one of the things I caught, uh, that again, I was just kind of like, ah, oh, man, they're really, this is what I'm talking about where this movie is just so well made. They just know what the movie's about and they just weave it throughout the whole thing mm. where even in that scene where there's the on the wedding night on um, the honeymoon um and she's prepared all the the food and everything they're putting up outside um this is less about mary but just on the, the what they're filling the what do you call it the window curtains or whatever the window panes yep. with our posters of they say it's places that george wants to be right and I just, I don't know, I, it struck me this time that I'm like, it's so interesting that they even added that detail in the movie of like in his honeymoon at potentially like this time when he is quite literally given up all that stuff that he wanted. Yeah. Now he's living in the house with a wife um, that he had said that he didn't want. Yep. And when he's looking out the windows, he sees this life that he said that he wanted. And, and he still does kind of want mm -hmm. this longing for. Um, I don't know. I just, it's stuff like that that I, makes me think that this movie is a step above your average Christmas movie. I'm like, man, they're just every chance they get, they're weaving these themes into the story to just constantly be hammering home. I mean, I was taking notes on um, just in that first, I don't know, hour or so, how much, how often George is in the act of serving somebody is then getting hurt. Yeah. Like I wrote down, um, I mean, like I said, the very first scene, he loses his hearing because he went and saved Harry. Yep. And then the next scene, he gets uh, beaten by the pharmacist because he refused to go deliver the pills. Um, and then his dad dies and he can't go to college. Hmm. Because, or no, he, his dad dies and he, and he stays for, um, he misses his like international trip right. to kind of organize what happens to the building loan afterwards. While his brother goes to college. While his brother does. And, th and then he also then agrees, yep, I will also not go to college mm -hmm. to stay with the building alone mm -hmm. so it doesn't get dissolved. And then later he uh, misses his honeymoon because mm -hmm. he uses all the money for saving the town. Um, and then even later at the very end, 
Um, he gives money to Violet and that gets turned on him as yeah. like rumors that he's sleeping with her. Right. Like over and over and over and over again from the very beginning of this movie, it's establishing this, establishing this is a guy who is willing to sacrifice and his life is I'm sacrificing and giving to others. And that is consistently like coming back on me. It's constantly mm -hmm. like I'm not gaining anything from this. Yeah. And that I would say if there's anything with the movie that I've struggled with is is the idea because because I think that what you just said is true. When you sacrifice, you lose something. Mm -hmm. So when you sacrifice something for a relationship or um, you know for whatever the whatever the reason, whatever the scenario, you're you're that's why it's called a sacrifice. You're 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 laying it on the altar and you're you're losing something. At the end of the movie, he gets everything and maybe questionably even more. He has the people, but he gets a basket of money delivered to him. Mm -hmm. The idea that if you do something good, it will come back to you. Oh, almost like karma or something. Yeah. Um, mm. that, that's always kind of bothered me because mm. life isn't that way. Yeah. I would say from our Christian worldview perspective, from, from theology and from what we know in the scriptures, Yes, there are blessings and promises for the righteous, for those that place their mm -hmm. faith and trust in Christ. But in this life, just because you do good things for your neighbor doesn't necessarily mean your neighbors are going to show up on Christmas Eve and mm -hmm. do a bunch of good things for you. Mm -hmm. and I think living with that expectation even draws you into deeper mm -hmm. discouragement and despair mm -hmm. if, if you're kind of embittered at the fact that you've sacrificed a lot for other people. Yeah. Well, but I do think that while at the end they do shower him with money, I don't think that's when the catharsis starts. I think mm -hmm. it the it starts. He's already had a change perspective before he got something back from all that he gave. Fair. Because he runs into the house, you know, and he says, you know, the the the, the one I think I don't know if it's a cop or whatever the sheriff says, I've got a paper for you, and he's like, I bet it's a warrant for my arrest. I'm going to prison. Isn't <laughs> yeah. it wonderful? Yeah. yeah. Um, like, Fair. Yeah. he is perfectly capable, and he, he has accepted the fact that, like, even if I go to jail, it is There's, better to live. There this could is, be consequences here yes. for me losing the $8,000. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah. It, it, it kind of feels like Job, to use another book mm -hmm. of the Bible, of, mm -hmm. like, um, in the end, I don't think you're supposed to take a, you know, to, the book of Job is a, a righteous man who then... Um, Satan kind of takes all the good things of his life away and then he suffers and it's kind of this test to see how is he going to respond. Yeah. But then in the end, God blesses him and kind of Job receives, you know, all the wealth and all the kids and everything kind of come back. And um, I don't think in that, in like the book of Job, the point is, see, like, look, Job got more than what he had before. Therefore, it's good to be righteous because that this is the promise is you're going to get something good at the end. Yep. Like that's actually pretty... Like that's the antithesis of what all of Job is about. Like yep. if you're going into, if you're leaving Job and you're thinking, yeah, the point of the book is I should be good to get good. Like mm. what book did you read? That's yep, <laughs> the entire yep, yep, book yep. is against that. And I, but it adds like at the end, he gets those things. And I think both in Job and it's a wonderful life. It feels like that's almost more to give you catharsis as the viewer of mm. like, I do feel good about how this ending was. Cause you know, admit it. If, if it's a wonderful life ended with him going to prison, that would be pretty depressing. That would be, <laughs> I don't think I would watch it every year. Like yeah. it would still be like the message would still be powerful, but just, I don't want to turn that off and then go to sleep for on Christmas Eve night. You right. know, like I think there is a, a way that they're getting you to feel how he feels by yeah. making the situation. And, and also, I mean, like what it's saying about community and the way that 
I, yeah, it kind of can get turned into a little bit of a karma. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I, I've poured into these people, so now they got to pay me back. Yeah. But that I think could also be a very cynical way of looking at it. And I'm a cynical person. And that's <laughs> what happens in my mind sometimes. <laughs> so let's end on this note. When did you realize that Frank Capra wasn't Francis Coppola who directed Godfather? Really, really late. <laughs> I found out that this movie was directed by Frank Capra, and I thought, Frank, that's probably short for Francis. <laughs> Capra, that kind of sounds Italian. And I thought that this was directed by the same person that made Godfather and Apocalypse Now, and I thought, this movie must be a masterpiece. <laughs> and then I analyzed it like it was a masterpiece, and then only after I analyzed it did I find out, wait a second, this is just a normal guy. This is just Frank Capra. Two different dudes. And you know what? And I'm totally fine with that, because it, it allowed me to go in with a really... Uh, not even critical, but like a, you know, an eye, an eye to look at like, well, man, if, if the greatest filmmaker ever made this movie, then it must be amazing. Yeah. And I still think it is. I still think this is an amazing movie. Well, uh, I encourage you to watch Travis's video. Like I said, the link will be in the show notes. And if you haven't watched It's a Wonderful Life, do it. The world needs to know that It's a Wonderful Life is a movie worth watching year after year after year. And even in February, when maybe it's not Christmas time. Travis, thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. Merry Christmas, everyone. And thanks for listening to The World Needs to Know. The World Needs to Know is a value for value podcast. That means we don't advertise or have special subscription tiers. I make the podcast and you're invited to contribute whatever value you think this podcast is worth. Want to send a dollar, five dollars, or even more? Man, that would be amazing. You can go to Anchor Deep Omaha slash The World Needs to Know for more information. Or if you listen on one of the new modern podcast apps like Podverse, Fountain, or CurioCaster, you can donate value through one of those apps. Thanks again for listening to The World Needs to Know podcast. We hope you join us again next time. This podcast is a production of Anchor Deep Creative Media.